McShane Bible Study, days 100 to 102. We're catching up a little bit. And we start out in Leviticus in 14. And it's still dealing with um, leprosy and how, when, um, what it looks like to for a person to be uh, declared clean of leprosy and the sacrifices that need to be made. And then uh, that was Leviticus 14. 15 goes into um, other areas of uncleanness, um, other sort of omissions from the body. And what are the periods of uncleanness? It, it, it stands out. Um, the woman who comes up to Jesus grabs his robe because uh, she'd been bleeding for many years what a terrible thing that was in that society because she was unclean. And, um, you know, uh, Jesus didn't hold that against her. And, of course, she was healed simply from her faith. But these things are all about the cleanness and uncleanness. It stood out to me in 14 that the uh, two animals are brought and one is released. It's very similar to the Day of Atonement. And then we get to Leviticus 16, and he goes into teaching about the Day of Atonement. And that's actually the way that it was wrapped up before moving into speaking about atonement was the fact that God must have a clean people, a purified people to worship him, which of course is a picture of the, the people of God that he has always wanted from the beginning and the people that he will have in these end times. And so then, you know, God tells Moses to, to tell Aaron, look, they, these are the clothes that you need to wear before me. My presence is going to be in a cloud above the mercy seat. You should treat this as holy. And on this day of atonement, Aaron's instructed to have a bull offering and then to bring in two goats to cast lots. And so that one should be an offering to the Lord. And one shall be uh, the scapegoat uh, sent off to Azazel. It doesn't, we're not sure exactly what Azazel means. Is it, is it the enemy, a particular demon? It's, it's, it's apparently unknown. And the high priest, whether it's Aaron or his kids, uh, progeny after him, has specific instructions as far as the killing of the bull and then the goat and the blood and what to do with the blood and the incense that is to be burned. And there's many more instructions uh, for this day of atonement. And of course, this all points to the fact that atonement must be made. Jesus is the one who made the ultimate atonement. He became our high priest and our sacrifice and, and teared the veil for us. So uh, kind of an awesome thing that we are all invited into this place. There was only one person in the world at any one time who was allowed to go into this place uh, where the presence of God was, and only once a year. And yet Jesus has given us this very same access. Moving to the Psalms, in 17, we see David crying out to the Lord. He's in desperate need again. Uh, But I love the last verse. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So just depending on the Lord. 
And then Psalm 18, um, it's a little bit different tone. <laughs> it's, it's just worshiping the Lord. The Lord is almighty, all-powerful. He has uh, come to his aid and blessed him in every way, and he's just worshiping and holding up the Lord. He ends it, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Psalm 19 is just a fantastic psalm. Um, It starts out, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So just all of creation is just singing out the glory of God. And then like starting in seven, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I love that. If we're simple and we're just about the law of the Lord, the way of the Lord, wisdom comes the precepts of the lord are right rejoice in the heart so joy comes the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes we can actually see we have vision the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold it's a beautiful thing and um and then, and then, in the end, it's good. He's, he's worshiping the Lord, but then he also checks himself. He says, "Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me." So he's saying, "I, I don't want to step out of bounds in error. I don't want to begin to assume things and and." and be going off in in the wrong direction because of my presumption. So keep me from these things, Lord. Proverbs will do 28, 29, and 30. And a couple stood out in 28. Um, This is 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So he's saying, (laughs) you know, we... Everyone turns to God when things get really bad. But he says, that that's not the way. Sometimes God does answer those prayers, and that can be a turning point in the life. And so that can be a wonderful thing. But the way is to walk with God. And then blessings of God, answered prayers, are simply the natural outpouring of a father to his son. 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So as we continually walk in the understanding that there is a wisdom higher than any wisdom of our flesh, he can make himself known to us continually. In Proverbs 29, I really like uh, verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man just... You know, it's just an incredibly common way that the enemy controls us. And we see it come out through politicians, media people, and all sorts of things uh, trying to control us with fear. Of course, the enemy is behind all that. 
you know, right here, Proverbs says, it's a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So where, where does our safety come from? The Lord. Anywhere else we look, it will lead to disaster. I really like uh, Proverbs 30. It's by someone named Augur, son of Jackie, Jackie, an oracle. And, uh, you know, they're Proverbs, so various things. But the first, it starts out kind of in worship of God. And I like six, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Well, he starts out five is every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So he's talking about the truth and the power of the word of God, but then he says, don't add to it lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So we can turn scripture into lies by adding extra to it, adding a meaning that is not meant by the Lord. Uh, which is common, and of course I'm commenting on the Lord, so or on the Scripture, so I have to be, <laughs> you know, always make sure I'm not walking in presumption, um, putting my own meaning that's not there, but instead uh, pulling out the mystery that God has put in His Word. Twenty-one and twenty-two verses in Proverbs thirty are, are it's a powerful truth that we need to be aware of because it shows what must happen in our lives. We know that we are all slaves to sin before Christ. And we know that he wants to make us a mature son of God. And so what is in between it? Uh, as Melchizedek, you know, the order of Melchizedek refers in Hebrews as priests and kings. Well, 21 says, under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. So what are one of the first thing of that makes the earth tremble? That's just the earth cannot stand in this kind of a reality. 22, a slave when he becomes king. So we, we cannot step into the fullness of our life if we're still a slave, an orphan. The people of Israel could not come into the promised land because they still had the slavery of Egypt in them. They were freed of being slaves, but they couldn't get the the slavery mentality out of them. A new generations of sons had to come out that could take the promised land. And so in us, in each one of us, we must be transformed by the Lord to become something greater than what we were in the flesh. And so we must have trust and faith in God that he can and will do this. That is actually his purpose for us. And then we'll finish Second Thessalonians today with chapters 2 and 3. And just, you know, 2 is pretty noteworthy. He's talking about end times. Uh, in, chapter, in verse 3, he says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So we see that there will be uh, a man of lawlessness who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So, it appears this person's going to come from the church because he says he takes a seat in the temple. Uh, so, and he's going to be charismatic. He's going to be, um, 
you know, someone that, that many turn to and he, he's going to be, uh, um, exalting of himself and the, anyone who truly loves the Lord should be able to see this pretty clearly. This man is not of God, but, um, many will be led astray by him. And you see the, basically the enemy is setting up his own Messiah figure, uh, to copy what God has done. Um, and then six, he says, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. So the, the Lord was holding back evil in the world in order to allow the good news of Christ and his kingdom to spread throughout the world. But Paul's saying there will be a time when that restraining is no more. And then the evil will be unleashed on the world. And so, the, you know, the, we need to be aware of times and seasons when these things change. Paul calls this time the mystery of lawlessness. Well, do we look around and we see lawlessness? <laughs> and we see, we see politicians and media people all acting like lawlessness is all good. Um, I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that these times apply to what Paul is saying would come. And, you know, he was speaking 2,000 years ago. Um, we're seeing these things now. And then the lost one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with his breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lost one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And then he goes on, you know, to stand firm in the Lord that, that he says, you are the first fruits that God has chosen to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And then starting in first Timothy, you know, this is a letter where Paul's instructing Timothy in order to establish a kingdom order in the places where he is. So it's very instructive to us. And he says, you know, don't hang out with people who are constantly just repeating genealogies and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're about things that are not of the Lord, but, but of man. And he says, you know, promote, promote faith, promote love, be about these things. He says, five, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. He says, you know, there's certain people that are swayed from things, vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. So he goes on to list all the different things. He says, the law points these things out. But we are to live a life of the law of the Spirit, a life above these things. Should we be excluded from all these things? Absolutely. But we are called to a higher life of love. And it's very clear if you read the list of the things <laughs> that that the law is supposed to apply to, that the modern secular definition of love is not what he's using. He's talking about God's love. 
a self-sacrificial love for the truth, for laying one's life down for another's, to live according to the wisdom of God, and to come into the fullness of His grace. And Paul gives an awesome uh, little description of, you know, the the way the Lord works. He says, "I thank God, I thank Christ, our Lord." Because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost." But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So <laughs> Jesus is displaying his glory through us, even though we are imperfect vessels. And Paul says, I'm willing to give myself to him for this more than others. So his glory is shining brightly through me. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And I'm going to end that there. And uh, the Lord bless you. Have a good week.